Hey friends, it's Mark James. Today is Wednesday, the 15th of March. It's currently early afternoon for the first time ever. I'm recording, er well, not the first time ever. Let's just get that clear. I mean, I've been a little bit hyperbolic there. I used, to, I've, and I've said bollock in the first 20 seconds. We're going well, aren't we? Um, it's, it's the Hey Friends podcast. It's Wednesday, the 15th of March. I'm on the correct day and I'm even early for time. That's what I'm trying to say. I used to always record in the afternoon, but then when I haven't been gigging over the last sort of four or five months as much, I've tended to get in the habit of doing the podcast on a night time and usually three to 12 days late. <laughs> but today I'm doing it on time, in time, and I've got time. So let's get into it. Why am I recording early? Well, because I've got a gig later. So I had to specifically carve some time out for you guys today. I said to myself, Mark, don't let down those beautiful, wonderful people who actually listen to whatever shit you've got to say. So here I am, on time and in time. And I've got time. That's going to be my new slogan. I'm freezing though. When is it ever going to, is it ever going to get warm again? Just be honest with me. Is it ever going to be warm again? Because it's cold. It's been cold and it's, it just feels like, I don't think I've felt any natural warmth in this world for at least four months I know I said that I look forward to driving to gigs because it's the one time when I'm warm. But honestly, that is true. Like I've got a gig tonight and it'll be the one time today when I'm actually warm and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to just experiencing the sun's rays on me to just enjoying a little bit of, you know, something akin to not freezing my balls off. Actually, I'm going to check the weather now and make sure it's not raining weather now. Because I repainted my stools for stage. And um, it says light rain and showers. Mm. Shit, hold on. I'm going to pause and just move my stools. I'll explain in a sec. Okay, I'm back. I know that made absolutely no difference to you. But essentially, I spray painted my stools today. I kind of, I've just run up and down stairs. I, I have my act on stage on these two stools. Two black stools. I might have explained this before, but I don't know that I have. I've put a lot of work into these stools. They're just, they're plain wooden bar stools with um, four legs and little support struts that go between them. But in order to make them work for my show, I put loads of extra little bits of work into them. Like I put two coat hooks next to each other on the back of one underneath the seat. And that kind of holds the fire bucket when I've done fire eating. And then I put these two knobs that you would use on drawers, you know, drawer knobs. I got these two little drawer knobs and I put them on the front and they work as a little stand for putting a whiteboard or something on when I need to. And there's just loads of extra little bits of kind of work in these stools that make them work for my show. And so um, I bought two, two sets of the same ones and I've got a set that are orange and I've got a set that are black. And neither of them started that colour. They both started out natural wood colour, but they didn't look great on stage. They just look like you've got two stools from the bar. Whereas at least if they're painted, they look like you did it on purpose and they're part of the set. 
And the black ones I'm using at the moment because the case I'm using is multicolored. Each panel of the case is a different color. And the logo that I'm using, remember, is like instant magic. It's like the Polaroid logo. So that has got multiple colors in it. And so the stools are plain and it works really well. Whereas in my old show, when I was using a brown leather case with travel stickers all over it, I had that on top of orange stools. And they looked fantastic. I love them being orange and all of the branding kind of worked together. I actually had them orange from when the show was called Modern Magic and the logo was orange as well. So it kind of all matched together. They're all things that I could bring back at any point. I love the aesthetic of all of those shows and they're all just names, I suppose. You know, if you give it enough years, maybe... I mean, I change the name of the show every two seasons. So this is the second season for Instant Magic. Last year was... Um, what was last year? <laughs> was last year Modern Magic? Yeah, last year was Modern Magic for the two years before that. And then next year is going to be something else. I'm thinking like Wonders or something like that. I'm going to go down a really old school aesthetic like Carter the Great and all that sort of stuff and get that designer that I met at Magi Fest to do the poster for me, like an old Thurston or Great Carter poster. And I'm going to call the show Wonder or something like that or Wonders or... Um, I don't know. I mean, their shows were called stuff like The Greatest Show in the Universe. You think, well, I can't call it that. <laughs> I haven't quite got the ego for that. But um, yeah, something along those lines I think would be quite good. And so that'll be six years then. And then if I have another show after that, there's no reason why the year after that I couldn't just start calling it Modern Magic again. You know, nobody would know. It'd be nice to, you've, you've sort of got a good stable of different ideas. The tricks would be different, but the aesthetics and the show names, once you've thought of a good one and got a nice aesthetic for it, returning back to it with new tricks, I don't think is is harmful. But um, not many people actually do that. In the, in the areas that I work of like doing a lot of holiday parks and ships and stuff, not a lot of people actually give their show a name. I think I've been a bit of a... I don't want to say a trailblazer because naming your show is as old as shows themselves. But in this environment, I think I've been a bit of a trailblazer in that regard because I'm seeing more and more people now give their show a name and have a poster for that show and have their own name being secondary to the name of the show size-wise on the poster than there ever used to be. And I think I think it's good. I think it's definitely done me a lot of good over the last sort of eight years since I started doing it. And I'm seeing more and more people do it now. And I can only assume that it's a little bit down to having seen me do it. Because a lot of the people that I'm talking about are people that I'm friends with. I don't just mean strangers. I mean people that I talk to about this business all the time. So anyway, the stools were out on the front uh, drive because I got spray paint today to tidy them up. I did one the other day. And I didn't get as thoroughly through it as I would have liked to have done because the spray paint ran out. So I had one that looked fairly perfect, although the underside was a bit rough. And I had one that looked like it had all last season, you know, just from being battered around a little bit. So I've just, I've hidden the spray paint in the car now because underneath the spare tire, because it actually dries very, very quickly. As long as you don't spray the top where somebody's going to sit, I think, which is a large area. Um, and I have done today, of course, but the spray paint itself actually dries very, very quickly, which means that 
if I keep the spray paint in the car and I get to a show and I notice there's a tiny little bit that just looks like it's had a bit of a ding, and bear in mind there were both sets were painted orange at one point, so when the spray paint cracks off, it's orange paint that's revealed underneath. So you do see these tiger stripes. They're very thin, but I can see them up close. But it'd be very easy to just give it a quick spray at the gig and not, you know, wait weeks until I think, oh, when I'm at home, I'll respray those. I could just do touch-ups the whole time and keep them looking brand new all the time. So I think that's what I'm going to do from now on. But anyway, so I did one the other day and I ran out of spray paint. And then today, Sarah and I were at the hospital Sarah had her scan and everything the other week, maybe 10 days ago, you'll all remember. I told you already, an upper body sort of CT scan thing. And what you want is for it to be dark. You want there to be nothing on it because I believe that cancer glows up. You see glowing areas means that you've got cancer. Whereas, because um, the, the stuff that they inject into you, it attaches itself to areas that are... Um, high traffic that have got growth or heat or something like that. It rushes to the places that are using energy and cancerous growth uses energy. So it looks up, it looks for those, I believe, which is why when you've had the injection, you basically have to sit and do as close to fuck all as you can. Mm. Otherwise, all of you will be glowing. I did the little noise then to indicate that I was drinking and I didn't drink a lot and I've got a massive brew. So before I continue, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to have a drink, but I'm not going to make the noise. So there'll be a bit of silence for a second. Okay, I'm back. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right without making the noise. Sorry, babe. So anyway, so we went to the hospital today to get those results. Sarah wanted to just go in by herself because it means I don't then have to properly park the car and parking the car can be a bit of a ball ache and you've got to get a uh, a little tag and all that to say that you're parking for a certain ward. So now that things have calmed down a lot and we're not expecting any bad news, Sarah tends to go in for these meetings by herself because usually all that happens is you go in and they say, your scan was perfect your blood tests are all good, go and collect your tablets. Because that's basically what these meetings are for. She has to have a scan every uh, two months now. But in between the scans, she has to have a blood test once a month. And she has to have the blood test three days uh, maximum before she picks up the tablets. Because based on the blood test, they decide whether or not you're allowed the tablets. Because if you have an adverse reaction, they don't let you keep taking them because the medication is quite serious. So she did that on Monday and then she had the scan 10 days prior to that. But um, the scan showed absolutely fine. Clear as a whistle. Clean as a whistle is the phrase. Clear as day, I believe the phrase should have been. So the scan was perfectly clear. Absolutely no cancer, no growths, no presence of cancerous anything. Absolutely marvellous news. As you can imagine, I continue to be over the moon because that's been my biggest worry in the world ever. And... My biggest worry in the world ever has calmed down. However, that does not mean that all is well. All is most definitely not well because Sarah hasn't been feeling great. She's been feeling a bit run down, both physically and psychologically. And I think that the two run into each other, and I'll come back to that in a second, referencing myself as the only way I know how. But she's been feeling a bit down on both. It turns out that what she has is a low white cell blood count. So she's going to have two more blood tests to get an exact blood count. It's called an FCB or an FBC. Yeah, full blood count. Um, and then the, And with that, they work out 
how many red blood cells you've got, how many white blood cells you've got, how many newts you have, all these various things that make up the composition of one's blood, they, because every blood test is different depending on what they're trying to find. So they're gonna get a full blood count and then they will decide on a course of action from there. Now, having an unusual blood count when you are undergoing treatment like this is not unusual. If you have a particularly high count of white blood cells, that can mean that you have leukemia. That's what leukemia is. Leukemia is that your body, the cancer of leukemia, <clears throat> is making your body replicate white blood cells all too quickly. And if you end up with way too many, then that can be incredibly disastrous to your health. Whereas um, having a low white blood count when you are undergoing immunotherapy treatment is common, I believe. And you can also get a low white blood count from loads of other things, like having autoimmune deficiencies or lupus or something like that can give you a low white blood count. And so the fact that she's got one, but that she's also taking uh, immunotherapy tablets is is quite not brilliant, but also not entirely unexpected. However, the effects on Sarah are far from brilliant because she feels shite. She feels terrible. And the best way for me to explain to you how she feels is that if you look up the things that you need to do to raise your white blood count. So hold on a sec. Raise my white blood count. Right, I've just uh, Googled it. Here are the things that it says to increase your white blood cells. Um, have quality proteins like fish, eggs, poultry, beef, milk, Greek yogurt and beans. Also, make sure you take multivitamins or su supplements with B12s, leafy greens, vegetables, fruits, all of those sorts of things. And essentially, if you feel shit just in life. You know, if you just feel a bit tired and a bit run down and a bit not really with it, instinctively, I think the things that you would reach for are oranges, fruits, green vegetables, broccoli, a bit of fish, you know, those sorts of things. So all of the stuff that is that lifts your white blood count are the exact things that your instincts would tell you you feel like having when you feel like shit. So I think it's interesting that we have a sort of innate sense of what is wrong with us. Because if you do feel run down and you do feel tired, maybe you feel depressed mentally because of your physical state, which I'm going to come back to still. Maybe it's because you have a low white blood count. But what's interesting to me is that we naturally have an understanding when we feel that way of what is most likely to fix us and what is most likely to fix us turns out to be correct. If you feel like that, fruits, vegetables, leafy greens, broccoli, and uh, vitamins are exactly what are going to make you feel better. And they could exactly be the trick for Sarah. So we're going to make sure that she improves the consumption of those things over the next couple of weeks. And she has blood tests this Monday and next Monday. So I think that's pretty good that it doesn't seem unfixable. I mean, Sarah doesn't feel great about it, which is completely understandable. And I don't feel great by virtue of the fact that she doesn't feel great. Like, I'm not able to be happy if she's not happy. You know, that's what it means to be married. That's what it is to be a team. You can't be happy 
if the other person isn't happy in any group, you know, you're only as fast as your slowest member in a race and you're only as happy as your most as your least happy member in any partnership, in any business, in any relationship. So I can't say that I'm thrilled either. However, it's not unfixable because if we'd gotten a scan result that said, oh, you've got cancer again, or you've still got cancer, or we found more cancer or new cancer or any of those things, that would be devastating because it would mean that what they already decided was meant to fix cancer isn't fixing cancer. So either she needs a way worse level of treatment or it's not fixable. However, that's not what happened. What happened was they said, we have absolutely still no traces of cancer in you. It looks like we're fixing it. However, the medication we're using to fix it is finally having some side effects and there's a way to fix those too. And to me, for all that's not brilliant right now, it also has a clear path. It has a way that it is fixable. And as I said last week, I think it's easy for me to say because I haven't had to experience them. But I think Sarah's had a reasonably good path of side effects so far in that she hasn't had anything that's been really, really bad. And a lot of people do have really, really bad stuff. And the doctor said today, apparently, because she's starting six months now. This is the sixth month. So we're officially at the beginning of halfway through. And the doctor said 60% of people apparently have given up by now. 60% of people give up on the tablets because they're told that they don't have cancer anymore and they don't like the side effects. So they say, well, fuck it. And they give up. To me, that seems crazy. If the doctors believe that a year of these tablets will drastically, you know, reduce your chances of getting cancer again, then you have to play the long game. You have to think to yourself, however shitty this feels now, it doesn't feel as bad as having cancer will feel, surely. But, you know, I can also understand it. Until you've had a blistering migraine or a horrific toothache or, you know, any awful symptom that might come along, you don't really know what someone else is going through. I mean, pain is pain, isn't it? It's horrendous. Um, speaking of toothache, I'm going to talk to that. I'm going to talk about that again in a sec. But um, as far as talking about psychologically being down and trying to get my head inside of the headspace that Sarah might have been in, I have to say she's a trooper, by the way. She doesn't ever moan about it. I said to her today, I don't always know how you feel because the emotional range that you express sometimes between being really happy about stuff and being completely desperate about stuff is quite limited. Sarah is at heart quite a private person and not very emotionally expressive. She tends to keep things to herself and bottle it up a little bit and, you know, it only comes out when it's at the absolute edges. So the fact that she ever says anything to me at all I, I should probably pay more attention to it, really, because it takes a lot for it to get to the point where she feels she has to say something. But um, I've been trying to understand those feelings. And, you know, I get it. This week, I've not been that motivated myself. I've not really felt like getting jobs done. I mean, just talking about the fact that I spray painted those stools, I spray painted one like five days ago, and it's taken me until today to get the spray paint out and do the other one to go and buy some more, which means that I've done shows this week with one stool looking perfect 
and the other one looking shitty. I mean, you can't really tell on stage necessarily, but that doesn't matter. And that would never matter to me in the past either. That's the sort of thing that I really care about. I am absolutely always all over jobs, especially when it comes to my show. I never leave things to chance and I never leave things until they are desperate like that. But I did leave this because I didn't really give a shit this week. And the reason that I didn't give a shit is because I felt like shit. So let's get very briefly onto my illness. It's changed again, and I feel like I'm very much on the other side of it now, but you might still be able to hear a tiny bit of it in my voice. I mean, last week, I really struggled to record. So that's a week since then. It's hard to believe a week's gone by. And then I was moaning about it the week before that. But every week, it's been different. So the first week, it was chest pain and feeling a little bit just tired and out of breath and not quite right. Then last week, it turned itself into a really bad throat and a cough and just a loss of strength in the voice. And this week, the chest is completely fine and I'm not getting any of those weird flutters or anxiety uh, flutters or heart pains or anything like that. My throat is basically better within the last three days, but now it's all in my nose. Finally, now it's moved up into my nasal cavity and I've got blockage and I'm struggling with the same loss of smell that I had probably the last time I had that was during COVID. I don't have COVID, but when I, la when I did have COVID that Christmas, was it last Christmas or the Christmas before? I think it was the Christmas before. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, because this Christmas was normal, wasn't it? Yeah, so the Christmas before last... Um, I had COVID on Christmas Day and so did Sarah and Joshua, by the way. But um, I couldn't smell really anything. The only thing I could smell was salt and vinegar crisps and they smelled awful. Something that was in either salt or vinegar, those smells were really, really awful to me. And right now I've got that same thing back again. If I smell salt and vinegar Pringles, they do not smell nice. Last night on the drive home, I had a double cheeseburger from McDonald's because it was next door to the garage where I got fuel. That's not the only reason. The, only, the other reason is that I'm a terrible human being. But I didn't enjoy it because it tasted weird. It didn't really have the taste that it should have had. And the gherkin in it, I found quite disgusting, which is a shame because I love gherkin. But... My nose is blocked and I feel weird. I'm congested. I've even started taking medication and, I, and it takes a lot for me to get to take a medication. But uh, I did. I've been having Sudafed. I've been having Airwaves chewing gum, which that actually has been probably one of the biggest helps. I had some Lemsip stuff for throat, which I have to say, there's this honey lemon Lemsip stuff that you have a swig of and it kind of coats your throat. It's quite thick as it goes down. And I have to say, that was fantastic. That really, really helped me stop coughing, which was a big jump forward. And so next week when I speak to you, I'm pretty sure that I'll be saying I'm completely fine. But it's been two weeks minimum. Obviously, Wednesdays, two Wednesdays apart is three podcasts, isn't it? Because there's a Wednesday in the middle. Because you 15 days is actually three, three Wednesdays or three anything. But... um. It's been definitely two weeks, even though it's been three podcasts, and I've not been good for any of it. And then the worst thing happened this week. I mean, probably about 18, 12 to 18 months ago, I don't remember what, I had um, two toothache problems. 
The first one was a wisdom tooth problem. Now my lower set wisdom teeth grow completely forwards. They don't grow up at all. I know most people, their wisdom teeth, they grow upwards and they grow at a funny angle. Mine do not grow upwards at all. They grow entirely forwards from the back of my head to the front. It's quite strange. But what it means is they put a tremendous amount of pressure on the two teeth that are in front. And years and years ago, one of those teeth kind of came out, but it didn't come out entirely. So there's always been a root of it there. And if ever that's grown a little bit, it has caused discomfort in my jaw, but not really enough to do anything about. Now the other one stayed firm and the two were growing together and it got to the point where it was so painful, something had to be done. However, I had an x-ray on the sides of my face and when they saw that those two wisdom teeth were growing completely out, they said, this is not a job for a dentist, this is a job for a surgeon. These wisdom teeth, if they're coming out, they need to be taken out in hospital under... Um, is it general anaesthetic, the one that knocks you out unconscious? But they said they need to be taken out in an operation and it'll be probably a two... I think they said a two-week recovery, I can't remember. But it was something that felt very unreasonable. And then I said to the dentist, well, can you not just take out the tooth in front that's currently perfectly fine, but isn't fine because it's got all that pressure on it, so it's going to be cracking or whatever anyway. And then there'll be an entire tooth's worth space for my wisdom tooth to grow into and it can do whatever the fuck it wants. Who cares if it grows forwards into my mouth? If there isn't another tooth in the way, then it's fine. And the dentist said, yeah, that's a perfectly fine plan. If you want to do that, we'll do that. So he did. He took out the tooth next to the wisdom tooth and I've had no pain with it ever since. But at the same time as he was doing that, because I'm not, I don't have a dentist. For those of you who are not familiar with the UK medical system, healthcare is free. However, dental care is subsidised by the National Health Service. So if you have a nat National Health Service dentist, you do have to pay for dental care, but it is at very low capped rates. So if you get a tooth out or anything like that, you'll pay like £40 or £30 or £70 or something. A two, it's always only ever a two-digit figure, I think. I, I could be wrong, and if you're listening to this and you know better, don't at me. It's not that important. But dental care is capped and subsidised by the NHS. So you do have to pay, but it's a very low fee. Whereas if you go private, you have to pay, but you get seen and get what you want probably a lot quicker but it is expensive. Now, I am not willing to pay for private dentistry because it's expensive. However, I can't get registered with an NHS dentist because the waiting lists are so long that since I fell off the list that I was on as a kid in my old hometown, I've never been able to get on a list here where I now live. So consequently, I've never had a dentist. Sarah's got one because she got lucky. She registered Joshua and kids get them. And when she was registering Joshua, she managed to get herself on the list, but couldn't also get me on. And she did try and she's continued to try every time she's been to the dentist since. And I took Joshua to the dentist last week and I tried as well. They still wouldn't have me. So I got a filling on this tooth and it is an upper 
second bicuspid, or it's sometimes known as a second premolar. If you want to know exactly which tooth it is, take your left hand, put it on your left front tooth. You've got two front teeth, put it on your left front tooth, and then count backwards four teeth. That tooth there that's very important in chewing in the mastication process, and one must be careful how they say mastication, but um, that tooth had a cavity in it directly underneath, straight upwards, and I got a temporary filling from the emergency dentist that took out my next to the wisdom tooth, 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 tooth. That temporary filling came out over a year ago. However, the tooth never caused any problems. Everything was fine. It's never been any bother. It's not made any difference to me. I've never really, you know, had any pains in it. Every now and again, if something unfortunate got wedged in it, or if I ate chocolate before bed or something, and, you know, there was sugar on it or whatever, it would cause my gum to have a little bit of pain in the morning. But apart from that, it's never really been any bother. However, not having felt well for a couple of weeks and having spent a lot of time in bed during the day and going to bed early at night, eating probably too many Easter eggs, and just generally being shit with everything for, for in health, um, it started to be painful. And then yesterday, I was sitting in the car, in the car park of Tesco, and I decided to get a sandwich, because I had quite a few jobs to do, which didn't end up getting done, but I had a few jobs I wanted to do. I dropped Joshua off at school, and I saw this sub roll in Tesco that had ham and cheese in. I've had them from there before, and it's quite a nice, cheap, and not too bad sandwich. So I bought it, I ate it, and I don't know what happened, but something happened. And before I knew it, I felt like I'd been kicked in the face with a spiked boot. I mean, the pain in the side of my face and jaw and cheek was beyond comprehension. It paralyzed me. I mean, my face was killing, my eyes were watering, both of them. I was rigid in the front seat of the car. I could barely breathe. It was just unlivable. So I thought, I need to call the emergency dental line. I called them and it said, you are 26th in the queue. If you would like to wait to speak to someone, please hold. And then, no hold music, no anything, literally just the sound of ringing. Brr, brr. Then after a minute, you are 25th in the queue. If you would like to speak to someone, please hold. This went on for 44 minutes and 25 seconds. While I worked my way from 26th in the queue down to 2nd in the queue. And I thought, come on, here I am, I'm next. The woman that came on the phone, she asked me for all my vital details. Name, date of birth, address, registered doctor's surgery, registered dental surgery. I had no answers for those last two. All sorts of stuff. She asked me all of those questions. Then she asked me what was wrong with my face. And I told her everything in detail. She was like, right, okay. Um, we can maybe get you an appointment if you ring back at 8am tomorrow. And I said, no, that isn't going to work. She was like, well, if you're willing to go to... Um, Preston, because I was in Penwitham. Preston and Penwitham are basically part of the same town, but they're slightly different areas. So I'm guessing they get a lot of people call who are not willing to travel. 
And she was like, well, if you call back at five, the nighttime list will have opened and I could maybe get you an appointment tonight. And I said, well, I can't do tonight because I'm supposed to have a show. I'm a stage magician and uh, I cannot afford to lose an entire gig. Like it's, a, you know, it's a lot. And I've just started working again after five months uh, sabbatical, basically. So, you know, what can we do today? And I was like, hang on, do you say if I'm willing to travel to Preston? Does that mean there are more appointments if you're willing to travel? She said, well, it's a lot easier to find you something. I said, let me just tell you, your Lancashire Dental Trust, I am willing to travel anywhere in Lancashire, which is probably a 50 mile radius from where I was sitting at the time. But I said, there is nowhere that I am not willing to drive right now. If you can get me an appointment today and I'm capable of making it in the car from now, I will go there. She was like, oh, okay. Well, there's one in Blackpool and Bispam. It's 35 minutes until the appointment. I put in the sat-nav. It was just under 40 minutes away. And I said to her, yeah, I'm half an hour away. I'll make it. She said, if they won't, if you're late, they won't see you. But anyway, I made it in 30 minutes. And um, it actually ended up being a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And the sat-nav, I think, must have had some roadworks on that weren't there anymore. But I made it. I'm not saying I drove any faster than you would normally drive, but I made it. <laughs> won't get any confessions out of me it's not how I'm going down but um, I made it to the dental place I walked in I had to fill out a form the form had on it are you more than 21 stone which in case you don't know is 294 pounds are you do you weigh more than 21 stone because the dental chair is only built to take that weight which made me laugh and I thought well no I'm not but I don't want to have to get on scales before the appointment to double check but um, I got in, I explained the thing to the dentist, and they're just brilliant, aren't they? I mean, he got straight in there, looked in my mouth, said, yeah, I can see a cavity. He said, I can even see the root. It's a clear path to the root. This must have been painful. I said, yeah, it is very painful. And he said, the root actually of a tooth just looks like a little bit of tissue paper almost. It's like, it's just a little white tissue. It's almost nothing. But, and yeah, it's excruciatingly painful. So um, he got, his tools out and I think he drilled out the tooth a little bit to make space and then he kind of sucked the root out with some sort of little machine and then water was being squirted all the different things were happening then he gave me a temporary filling he gave me the option by the way I could have had the tooth out and then it would have been no more trouble ever again but if you did that thing that I said where you put your finger on your front left tooth and counted back four you'll realize that I think I think that tooth is far too close to the front to be losing. You don't want to lose a tooth that's in your smile, do you? Very back teeth. I, I don't think you'd be as bothered, but a tooth that's near that you can see. I don't want to lose, especially if the tooth itself is healthy, which, you know, it's all right. It looks good. So I took the option of having to receive more dental treatment, but that's okay. When I explained to him that I wasn't registered with the dentist, he said, well, I can refer you to a dentist that will see you on a one-time only basis and will treat you like an NHS patient, even though you won't be registered with them as a patient, they will still treat you. And so that's exactly what he did. So he gave me a root canal. He took the root out. He drilled the tooth out a bit. He uh, sorted it all out, cleaned it up, and then uh, gave it a temporary filling sent me on my way. I was almost immediately out of pain. I mean, the two injections that he gave me, I have to say, were very unpleasant. The one into the gum wasn't so bad, but the one up into the roof of the mouth was horrendous. I mean, it hurt a lot. I don't know that it hurt more than the toothache itself, but I can't say that I enjoyed it. Let's put it that way.
So, all good, really. <laughs> One thing I'll say about dentists as opposed to doctors, if you go to the doctor and you've got a pain or some sort of problem that you're not sure about, it's very, very, very unlikely that the doctor is going to fix that problem while you're in the room. Whatever problem you go to the doctor with, you usually leave the doctor with. Whereas any problem you go to the dentist with, you usually leave the dentist without. The dent Going to see the dentist actually is more like going to visit the surgeon rather than the doctor because you're talking to the person that can both diagnose and instantly treat the problem almost immediately. Like unless you've got an abscess or something and they tell you to take antibiotics, which will take a couple of days to really work their magic. But usually if you go to the dentist, they fix your pain instantly. And that's what the dentist did for me. He said, well, you won't feel any pain now because the nerve is out. I mean, if you're capable of maintaining those teeth without the nerve, it makes me wonder, why haven't we evolved away from having nerves in our teeth? Why do we need a nerve in our teeth if you don't actually need it for your tooth to be there other than for it to cause you horrendous pain? But um, either way, the nerve is gone. And so, and the tooth will remain. But it is funny, isn't it, that the doctor is kind of, the doctor's more a triage, really. They decide if it's a big enough problem for them to fix or if you need to go to the hospital. And then if it does need fixing, they generally just give you a prescription for certain medication. So even they're not fixing it, but they're, they're giving you the medication that will fix it. And if it is a bigger problem, they're sending you to the hospital for further tests or an operation or whatever. And if it is bad, then you become the hospital's problem. The doctor is very much a middleman, whereas the dentist is kind of the be-all and end-all. The, the dentist is everything in that. But then, of course, a dentist is only really focusing on teeth. And maybe if you went to see a specific foot doctor, he might fix your problem or they might. It's not always a he, of course. They might fix your problem. Did I ever tell you about doctors and nurses that I thought that was the same job? When I was a little kid, I thought a doctor and a nurse was the same thing. But a doctor was a man and a nurse was a woman. And that's not unreasonable, by the way. Let's just be clear. Because whenever you see pictures of a doctor, a doctor's outfit you you think of that as being a masculine item of clothing and a nurse's outfit, you think of that as being a feminine item of clothing, or at least you certainly did when I was a kid. Maybe now people don't have those same assumptions. And of course, I do know that a doctor can be any gender and a nurse can be any gender. But I used to believe that it was the same job. And when I say I used to believe it, I don't mean when I was six. I mean, until I was about 14. Um, yeah. Weird that, isn't it? But um, doctors, they, yeah, they're brilliant, but they're really just the sort of, they're the, they're the Google stage of the project, aren't they? Rather than the be all and end all, rather than the, the construction worker who finishes things off. Interesting that, not something I've ever really thought about before until now. But hey, so I got fixed up at the dentist. It was rough, but I feel loads better now. And getting fixed by the dentist is also coinciding with um, feeling a lot better in regards to, 
you know, my chest and my nose and my cough and everything, all of it is on the up. So next up, I really have to fix the rest of my health. I really have to fix the um, being healthy, not eating shite food and starting to do some exercise again because it's been a while. Um, uh, I just got my showtime for tomorrow, 7.30. That'll do me nicely. That's the gig that's miles away and I don't really... I don't mind the gig, actually. I like the venue and I love the team. The people on the team there are always really nice. Um, and the venue is good as well. It's just nearly five hours away. So finding out I'm on at 7.30 tomorrow is good news. And I just got that message right there and then. So we're all happy. I better text Joshua. Um, I don't know if he'll see it. Uh, he's out doing his thing, but he's lost his headphones. Oh, he's reading it now. Um, hang on. Sorry, just bear with me. I said he was talking to his mother. Okay, I'm done with the chat. Uh, I just told him to be good. He's at school. Oh, okay, good. We're done with that. Um, so let me delete what I've talked about off this list and we'll carry on. Toothache, Sarah Hospital, being ill, Easter egg obsession, <laughs> root canal. Oh yeah, that's the bit. When the pain kicked in in the toothache and I was in the Tesco car park. I literally opened my notes and started making a will. <laughs> That's how much it hurt. I started writing my last will and testament in the front seat of my car in Tesco car park. I thought, this is how it ends. This is how I'm going out. These are my final moments on earth. It is that painful. Um, so yeah, Easter egg obsession. I mean... Easter eggs are great, aren't they? Why are they so much better than normal chocolate? I've heard loads of loads of uh, reasons for this, by the way. The most common given reason, I bet we've talked about this every Easter of this podcast for three years, but the most common given reason is that because the chocolate is thinner and because of its unusual shape, it forces you to eat it in a different way and you tend to open your lips more frequently when chewing on Easter egg because of its unusual shape. This allows more air into your mouth from outside of your mouth and that air circulates to increase your ability to enjoy the flavour of the chocolate. Apparently is why Easter eggs are better. I bet if I Google this, why do Easter eggs taste better than the same? Because it is, isn't it? It's just the same chocolate, but made into... Um... Oh, here we go. Okay. Bernard Lahouse, I hope I'm saying that correctly, is a food scientist who explains why Easter eggs taste so much better than other chocolate. According to science, it comes down to the smell of chocolate. When chocolate is offered in the, sm in the form of a sweet little egg, the smell is enhanced. Um, also... 
The egg is spun so that the chocolate is thinner, melts more easily in the mouth, and releases all of the cocoa notes more quickly. So, there you go. Um, do you have Easter eggs in other countries? Do they have Easter eggs in America? In many other countries, the Easter egg hides... Oh, not necessarily the same. Chocolate eggs. If you're if you're not from the UK and you don't know what I mean by an Easter egg, Google a British Easter egg. It's a wonderful thing. But I'm obsessed with them. I've probably eaten one every day now for about three weeks. So stopping doing that will coincide with my being uber healthy, which I still haven't started doing yet. So I'm still not ready to talk about my weight. <laughs> You'll have to wait. Um... Never mind. But I have been back to work and that's definitely motivating me to want to change because I don't love being on stage feeling so heavy. I know what my suit looks like and it doesn't look great. And that's making me feel like I'm not enjoying my job as much. Whereas when I'm much, much thinner and my suit fits great and I'm in a nicer suit, I've just got so much confidence and joy on stage. I love performing. I don't really sweat very much. I feel like I can just do anything and the show is better and my slights are better and my ability to hide items in my pockets for certain tricks is better. Literally, the show is better when I am a different shape because I built the show the way that it is now at a smaller frame and so... Props and stuff are meant to go in my pockets in certain places. And right now they don't because of being overweight. So I do really, really, really need to get back to it. Now that the season has started, there's no excuses. And I suppose I've kind of been... Um, I've kind of been putting it off a little bit because there's been the gigs have been so few and far between and a bit a bit sort of bitty. You know, the shows have been on and off, like a week of shows, a week off, a week on, a week off. Uh, but that's over now because I've got a show tonight and tomorrow and the next week I'm off Monday through Thursday. But once I gig again on the Friday and Saturday, by the way, on the Isle of Wight, then the following week I've got Monday through Thursday, then the following week Monday through Thursday, then the and then we go to Benidorm, then the following week Wednesday to Friday, then Monday through Thursday, Tuesday through Friday. It's like gigs, 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 gigs. Every single week I've got gigs then after the midweek next week. So what would be great is if tomorrow I start, <laughs> if tomorrow I get started and I put in a really solid week so that next weekend on the Isle of Wight, I feel good for those gigs and I keep going. Then the week after that, I have a good week and I keep going. Then the week after that, I have a great week because I'm down in Weymouth and I love gigging down there. And I also run every day on that there, that beach run. I really enjoy exercising there, so that'll be good. And then I go to Benidorm. And so that's the week that I really want to feel good for and I want to have had the turnaround by. And Sarah feels the same too. So it'd be really good to get a lot more positivity together by then. So... Tomorrow can be the day, I guess, um, because I am back to it now and there's no excuses really. And I can't say that my weight really affected the weekend because I had great shows, but I made my West End debut. It actually happened. I performed in that show on Saturday at the Leicester Square Theatre. Sarah was with me. It was a nice adventure, actually. We weren't going to go down on the Friday. We were going to wait until Saturday morning to save money on hotels. 
But a couple of things happened. The weather turned absolutely brutal and it started snowing and stuff a couple of days before and just bad weather and traffic jams and stuff reported and everything was a bit up in the air. So I took Joshua as soon as he finished school over to his grandparents and then came back and picked Sarah from work. We came home, we packed everything, we went down that night, which wasn't in the original plan, but we booked a last minute hotel just to be in the area and near. And actually it worked out to be the best decision because firstly, I felt like shit because of my cold and cough and sore throat. And so waking up really early at like 6 or 7 a.m. to get in the car and drive down to London and then not being able to check into a hotel and re-shower and everything and feel good and go into the show would have really ruined that day for me. However, we drove down. I did wake up at 7 a.m. anyway, feeling like shit, but I was able to take some medicine, get in the bath in the hotel, and I spent like three hours just keeping the bath topped up with hot water. And by the time we were ready to leave the hotel and Sarah was awake and we got all the stuff together, I felt a lot better. And I certainly felt better than I would have felt if I'd spent the morning in the car driving down. So it was just definitely the right decision. Then we drove to the place where the next hotel was going to be, left the car there, got parked at the hotel, free parking, dream, got the tube into town, town being London, by the way. And um, you hear that? That's my nose blocking up a little bit there. And I have to say, the tube is brilliant. I don't love being on it necessarily, but it is a phenomenal achievement in infrastructure. I mean, the fact that there are tunnels in every direction imaginable underneath the entirety of all of London in a 10, 12 mile span is just phenomenal. It's really, really a remarkable thing that I don't think is really common in many other places. The London Underground system is honestly phenomenal. I've always been quite interested in it. And I always feel every time I'm on it, like I'm blown away by how just how much genius is behind it. It's really remarkable. And it's a great way to get around. What I really like about it is that in the last few years, you used to have to buy a travel card, which you would top up with amounts of money that would allow you to travel. Now they've changed it completely. And all you have to do to get on the underground is go up to the barrier and scan any payment system. So your Apple Watch, your Apple Pay, your debit card, anything that's capable of paying contactless, you scan that when you get on the tube and then you scan it again when you get off the tube at the contactless reader and it just lets you on and off. And once you reach the maximum amount that you can pay for that day, because it charges you an individual trip at first, and then it'll charge you another individual trip. And I think once you reach like £7.50 or something like that, it basically caps it for the day. And you can travel as many times as you want, but it will not cost you any more money. So once you reach the upper ceiling of travel, and that's based on how many journeys you take or how far those journeys are, because London is in zones. And so when you're all the way out at like zone seven and you're coming into zone one, that's, you know, multiple zones. It charges you for that. But uh, once you hit the cap, it doesn't get any higher. And that's really good. So you don't have to worry about getting on the underground at all. You just walk up to the barrier, scan your Apple Pay or whatever, and you get on the train to wherever you want to go. It's brilliant. And you can use it as many times as you want that day. I think it's a great system. 
So we got the tube into town, we got off at Leicester Square, walked to the theatre, we dropped our bags immediately, uh, my suitcase with the props in. Then Sarah and I headed out into town and we went to Seven Dials Market. We've never been there before, but Seven Dials, it's got all these different concessions in and we tried loads of different little bits of food. There was a, a sushi, pl well, it's a sushi belt, but it's got cheese on it. Imagine that, a sushi belt, but with little plates with different cheeses on. I thought that was remarkable. And then there's a thing that does these pancakes, but they put them in like a cone. So it's basically like an ice cream cone made out of pancake. Then they fill it with custard. Then they put sugar on the top and then they blast it with a, um, with a flamethrower thing, a blowtorch. And it's basically a creme brulee that looks like an ice cream cone. It's phenomenal. There's nice coffee, donuts, just loads and loads of nice things. So we tried loads of those different things. And then Sarah went off on her own to have a wander around London. And I went back to the theatre to do sound check and everything. That was a piece of piss. All the acts were professionals. It was very quick and easily done. Um, then Sarah came back and met me at the theatre and watched the show. The show went off without a hitch. I had a fantastic spot. I did uh, my Vanishing Elephant bit. I did my microphone gag thing where the mic ends up not being real. I did the whole thing, this trick by a guy called Daryl. I did my calculator trick where the audience predict the date and time. And I did cigar box juggling. And they all went over great. Audience loved it. It was a fantastic show. All the other acts did well. It was a great, uh, great show in general. And then as soon as the show was finished, I packed up and bailed. And we took our bag, we took the suitcase to a bag drop. Now, basically every convenience store in the whole of London and loads of other places as well are part of this kind of baggage system. So you can go on this app, but you put in the date and times that you want to leave a suitcase from and until, and then it just tells you the nearest place to do it. And so you just walk up to a shop and go, hi, I'm here to drop off a bag. They scan the code that you've got on your phone. They put a tag on your suitcase and then they put it in their storage room. And then you go about your day. You don't have to worry about your bags or anything like that. It's fantastic. And then whenever you've booked to go and get it back or any time before, then you walk back up. You say, I'm here to collect a bag. They rescan your little thing on your phone so they know which bag they're looking for. They go in the storage room, they get out and they give it back to you. It's a piece of piss. It's such a great system for taking the pressure off having to look after your bags all day in London, which can obviously be a ball lake. So um, I love that and I was well chuffed. And then we went off and had a nice night. However, I felt like total shit and was really tired and had a sore throat and a blocked nose. Sarah felt a bit tired and didn't really feel like drinking because she was getting sore legs and stuff. This is one of the things that comes along with a low white blood cell. You know, if she drinks alcohol, it's not been reacting well to her. Probably because the blood cell thing, actually. We never put those two together, really. But it's not been doing her any good. And uh, I'm going to Google that as well, just to see what it says. Uh, alcohol with low white blood cells um it says that you shouldn't drink alcohol um when you've got a low white blood cell count look at that there you go so um she wasn't feeling good. Those things are probably linked, possibly, I don't know. And when I say alcohol, I mean, we'd only had two drinks each. That was it, in Brewdog and somewhere else. 
But we both kind of just looked at each other and I think it was like nine o'clock. We'd had some nice food and stuff as well at Camden Market. We had these like top chips and uh, all chips like British, you know, fish and chip shop chips, not crisps, fries. Um, a few different bits and bobs because there's like great stuff for foodies there as well. A Korean hot dog, uh, a K-dog, just loads of good stuff. But it started a piss down with rain. It was freezing cold and neither of us really felt in a brilliant mood. So we both kind of looked at each other and Sarah said, what do you want to do? And I said, don't know, really. Well, I guess we were feeling each other out, which we do a lot. And then she was like, you know, because we could just go back to the hotel if you wanted to. And I was like, I'd love to do that. So we left. We were going to go back for the case so that it was done. But we decided to leave it because I booked it until the next day. Um because we were going to have a mad one out all night, karaoke bars, get pissed, everything, but we just both ended up feeling like shit. So we took the tube back to our hotel. We popped to the supermarket on the way to get supplies and food and different bits and bobs. Then we got back to the hotel, sat on the bed. There was a film on, the Inbetweeners movie, and she stayed awake quite a bit, I think, and watched quite a few things on telly. Uh, probably got some work out, played some games on her phone, fuck knows what, but I fell asleep almost immediately. I mean, I was lying on the bed for no more than an hour before I was asleep. So I would have been asleep by 11 o'clock. Uh, woke up the next day feeling like total shit again, by the way. Sore throat, everything. Had um, had a shower, had some medication, managed to get it back together. Then we headed back into town again. More delicious food and different bits and bobs. But we also went to the Maving bike shop. Do you remember I was going to buy a a motorbike from Maving, those electric motorbikes that I was in love with. Well, they've got a display, a showroom in London. And we went to that and we saw them. And I sat on one and God, I just fell in love with it again even more. I'd still be perfectly happy with the scooter though that Sarah would use as well, a vintage Vespa style scooter. And that's definitely on the list for this year. But sitting on that Maving bike did make me think, God, these are really a beautiful thing. I loved it. Uh, so we went in there as well. Did all of those things, had a good look around London again, a nice little look around, a nice time. Uh, feeling much better, by the way, the next day. We enjoyed walking around the next day and we weren't feeling like crap. We went to Brick Lane. We walked through Brick Lane Market. Uh, again, just delicious, delicious foods everywhere. Uh, so many nice things to have and to find. And what did we actually eat that second day? I can't think where we went for food. We had, there was loads of stuff though. Oh, it was at Spitalfields Market. We went to Spitalfields Market and we got uh, these these uh, pork bun things that weren't great. I got a pizza from this stand that we shared and the pizza was amazing. One of, probably the nicest uh, marinara pizza I've ever had. Was it a marinara? Margarita, it was cheese as well. Yeah, probably the nicest one of those I've ever had. Really good. Um didn't get the salt beef bagel from Brick Lane Bagel Bake because uh, the queue was crazy and I was so full off the other food. I didn't really fancy it all that much anyway. If I'd have gotten one, it would have been out of duty of the fact of going, well, you're here, you should really have one. But as soon as I saw the queue, I thought that's my excuse not to have one because it's too much really. But um, went and picked up the suitcase, got the tube back to the hotel, got back in the car, drove home, drove straight to get Joshua from grandparents, Drove back from picking him up, got in our house. Joshua showered and everything and went to bed. We all showered and went to bed. And I think we may have eaten Easter eggs in bed watching... Ah, oh, we watched Luther, the Luther film. Because we've been watching Luther from start to finish 
on catch up on um iPlayer. I think it was iPlayer, yeah. And but because Sarah had never watched it before, but I've seen it loads of times. But Netflix brought out a Luther film. It was all right, you know. It was all right. The first hour is brilliant because it's exactly like the TV show. And then I think in the second hour, they possibly thought, ah, oh, this is supposed to be a film and we've got all this budget. So let's smash loads of stuff up. Let's have a bit of a foreign location. Let's seem a bit big budget. And that stuff wasn't as good as what Luther's really brilliant for, which is just gritty dialogue, conversation and twists and turns. It became a bit more of an action film. And I have to say, that's not what I've ever watched Luther for. So the film was good, but it wasn't as good as the TV show. I'd rather have watched a two hour episode of the show or a new season, but never mind. It was still good. And we both enjoyed it. Uh, Andy Serkis was very good in it. But there you go. So we watched that and uh, went to sleep. And then basically the rest of the week has just rolled on. I've done gigs. Did Martin Meir in Blackpool on Monday. We had been back. Um, show was good though. I managed to find my voice for on stage, even though it was tired off stage. Audience were decent. Had a nice time. Tuesday, my voice was back to really full strength and I felt pretty good last night on stage. Audience were great. Really, really funny kid I got on stage for one of the tricks and bannered with me from the audience, so that was good. Tonight, I'm down at Haffany Moor, and they've rebuilt one of their two venues, and I'm in that one. I've not gigged in that venue for quite a few years because it was generally considered to be not as good as the other venue, and I was always in the better venue. However, they've rebuilt the other venue, and from what I hear, it's absolutely unbelievable. And it's really beautiful and it's going to be great. And I'm in that one tonight and I'm the first act to have ever performed in that venue. So if anything doesn't work, I guess it'll be me who finds out. <laughs> so we'll see. So I'm in there tonight and we'll see how we get on. I'm actually quite looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to the fact that I can't remember where to park to get in and out of the venue. I do like to know where I'm going. But aside from because I know where I'm going for the other venue. But actually, uh, it might turn out to be brilliant. And when I find where to park, it might be even better than the getting at the other venue. So I'm not moaning. And also the DJ box is right next to you in this venue. Whereas in the other venue, it's at the back of the room. And that has some of its own problems. So, you know, you do have to do a lot of running backwards and forwards between the backstage and the forward part of the stage when the box is at the back. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. Um, that's basically everything. That's London West End debut. Feeling ill, uh, all of it, yeah. That's the catch-up. That's this week's pod, friends. I hope you enjoyed it. I got everything out. I'm going to do next Wednesday as well, because next Wednesday I am not gigging, so I'm free. And next Wednesday, by the way, I'll have been and set up for the stage door venue that I'm putting some shows in privately to see what it looks like and how it feels and sounds, so I'll be able to report on that, as well as what happens the rest of this weekend. Gosh, so stay well, look after each other, keep your white blood cell count high, get some Omega oils and stuff, and I'll see you next Wednesday, friends. Much love to you all. Bye.